Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Uh, we, not, we, we believe in preaching in series and we preach through books and we love that so we get stuck in. Sometimes we miss, I don't want to miss the moment, it is Pentecost, an amazing day we remember that the incredible gift that was given and I saw something amazing the other day. Gabe and Fee have just had Benjamin Phillips. Uh, an amazing miracle. He's not redhead. I know. It's a, it's a sign and a wonder. It's incredible. But, but more than that, they read a parenting book, and that parenting book said, when you have a second child, let, get them both a gift. So the older little one gets a gift, and the younger one gets a gift. So I went to visit them, probably uh, visited them, and I went again, and I saw little Livy, who's now almost two, two, and um, she's got... She's carrying something around. It's wrapped in a present. It's got a handle, but she's carrying it around. She's still carrying it around almost two weeks later. That was her gift that she got when her brother Benjamin arrived. She loves the gift. It's incredible. She doesn't know what it is. She takes it everywhere. It's still wrapped, and she carries it around. And Kans was just chatting and mentioned to me, sometimes the Holy Spirit's like that for us as believers. We know it's a good gift. We know the giver's a good gift. We know that it'll be amazing and there'll be adventures and opening it, but sometimes we just leave the wrapping on because maybe we prefer it that way. I don't know why that little two-year-old girl hasn't opened that gift. Like sometimes I don't know why I don't open the gifts my Father in heaven gives me. And, um, and I want to remind us at this time that we've been given a glorious, glorious gift in the opportunity, ability, and availability of having God, the Holy Spirit, inside of us. So let's remember that. It's not a day to preach on the Holy Every day is a day for the Holy Spirit for us to walk with. But it's incredible and powerful. And um, yeah, it's amazing. So we are in a series called A New Way. And I trust as you're navigating this series through Colossians, I trust, number one, you are reading the Bible. And um, we do put the scriptures on the screen. And in no way is that to say don't read the Bible. No, we are encouraging. We teach the word Purely to give you an appetite because there's so much more in His Word for you. We couldn't possibly preach every line. If we did every line the way we'd preach systematically, we'd be here for 45 years and still be in Colossians. And it's only four chapters. There's so much in the Word of God. So I want to encourage you, please read the Word of God for yourself and allow God to show you things in His Word. But this man, Paul, an apostle, a man God raised up, called out of incredible following of the law and living a great legalistic lifestyle, did it really well in every level. God calls him out, anoints him for a talk to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, to take it to the Gentiles. Thank you, Paul. I'm one of those. And he's sitting in prison writing a book called Colossians to a people in Colossae. It's really important we don't forget that. And what is he saying there? Dear church, get me out of here. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, dear church, you're doing so well. But I want to remind you, to the primacy, the priority, the perfection of Jesus Christ in all things. That there's going to be other things. The God of Aries wants you to come to Him so that, that you can look to Him for provision. And, and the God of Aphrodite, if you're looking for love, go to the... No, no, no. Jesus. And He's sitting in a place of the least power in prison with chains around Him. And the guy next to Him has probably passed away three weeks ago. He's sitting there writing a letter to the saints, like he's sitting today writing a letter to us. In a city where there are hundreds of idols that want our every heart, every attention, and want our worship, he's saying, no, guys, Jesus Christ. 
And he writes into that context, he says, all your answers are there, and you don't have a sin problem, you don't have a sufficiency problem, you have a supremacy problem in the supremacy of Jesus Christ above all things in your life. Make him supreme and watch the order of heaven begin to invade the details of your steps. It's an amazing thing. But today, I want to speak about represent. It's my inner gangster coming out. Represent. So, I mean, maybe a little older, you don't know what that means. Well, I came home the other day, I said, what, why are you walking like this, Butch? He says, um, there we go. Thank you, Paul Dibble. <laughs> He's representing. You, you represent. Sometimes you represent a culture. So, so, I mean, you identify as a New York gangster, so you walk. But you've never been to New York, that's fine. It's the world we live in. You can identify as whatever you want. But you're representing something that you identify with because there's an identity in you that's been formed in fashion, whether it's a certain music type, a culture, your background, the privileges you've had in life. We start to identify with those things. In my world, I spent many years in marketing, and we would choose people called brand ambassadors. And you'd go look at everything, not just how they play their sport. South Africa have incredible brand ambassadors right now in England. They were brilliant on the plane, far more well-behaved than any other cricket team. Brilliant. Their, their manners said thank you and please to every hostess that came to them and host. They, they have been well-behaved in the hotel. They've been incredible ambassadors. On the field, it's been a bit tougher. But when you represent a country in a sport, you're not just representing your sport. You're representing by the way you leave the change room. I don't know if you've seen those things, but the New Zealand rugby team, how the captain stays behind to make sure that the change room is clean. Why? Because they're representing something bigger than a game. Representing a nation, a people. It's amazing. A couple we two weeks ago, on Saturday morning, we were having a lion, a sleeping, which if you don't know what that means when you've got an eight-year-old, a ten-year-old, a six-year-old, it was six o'clock in the morning. And um, and something horrendous happened in our home. An invasion. In Durban, it used to be monkeys, literally monkeys would invade, eat all our bananas, eat all your fruit. That's what happened in Durban. In Cape Town, it's rhinoceros. Seriously, invaded by three rhinos. We're lying in bed and I just hear thud, da, da. I think, what is going on? You just hear this bang, bang. I'm like, okay, we've got to do the right thing. Cans, will you go check? <laughs> just obviously, it's Saturday. And um, my wife, being the brave soldier that she has, went downstairs to save our children from this raging rhinoceros. Obviously, that must have been in the house. Only to find our six-year-old diving off a piece of furniture this high over a four-foot gap onto my precious lazy boy, which is not acceptable on so many levels, actually. And then proceeded the next one, jumped, and the next one. Each time they landed, the back of the lazy boy would whack against the wall that was right underneath our bed, and I would hear this, da-da, da-da. So then I realized... They're identifying as wild animals this morning. They've chosen that. That's the identity that's shaped them. I need to help that identity back to little critters called boys in the fun in household. And the conversation goes something simply like this. In our house, we don't do that. Actually, in no one's house will you ever do that. Because furniture is not a trampoline. You have one outside. You're fortunate. But in our house, we don't identify as rhinos, monkeys. 
wild animals. We just, it doesn't actually matter how early or how young you are. We identify as van Pletsens. And in our house, we don't do that. See, there's an identity challenge even for believers today. Sometimes it's easy to forget, and you start to identify on a Sunday as a Christian, on a Monday as a business person, you make decisions on a Monday that don't necessarily reflect and represent the guy on Sunday. That's where the world goes, mm-hmm. There's a call to represent our king Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The same at 6 o'clock in the morning when we're having a quiet time, or 12 o'clock at night when the internet is calling. It says there's a representation call. And Paul the Apostle is writing, and in chapter 1 he says, Church, Jesus, supreme above all things. He's not writing to the unbelievers, he's writing to the church. He says, supreme above all things. Chapter 2 he says, supreme above all things, but sufficient in all things for your life. And in chapter 3 he starts jumping to what that life looks like, but he takes three or four incredible little scriptures, and he keeps and reinforces identity for the believers. Because he knows this journey, this gospel journey of representing doesn't start with, this is what it looks like to be a fun pletson. Because I could put rules. You'll never jump from my couch. You'll never do that at 6 in the morning. I can put all these rules in place. You know what will happen when they turn 18? Bye-bye. And the rebel comes out. We can develop little robots with systems and plans, but I promise you the rebel will come out. The only way to overcome that, as the Paul does with the church in the Colossae, is he reminds him, you are sons and daughters of the living God. Represent him. That's what I see in the scripture. Let's read together. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sinful immorality. Gee, that changed tone quickly, eh? Impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Can you say that with me? Holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity i'm going to stop there i pray spirit of god as i've prayed every week show us jesus show us jesus amongst the shouting voices of this world louder than the lies that shout that distort and deform. I pray, form us by showing us Jesus today. Thank you for your word. We read it like no other king. Amen. Amen. So there are a thousand voices shouting an identity at you. Cultures, peers, past, spheres. But Paul just starts out like this. He says, verse 1, with Christ, where Christ. Verse 3, with Christ. Verse 4, when Christ. Verse 4, with him. 
It's all in Jesus. I want to tell you a few new things because we've called the series A New Way. I want to tell you some new things you get because of Christ in this journey of walking out this life and representing. Number one, you get a new starting point. I'm not much of a hiker, but I give it a go. But it's quite intimidating when you stand at the bottom of a mountain and think, I'm going to go to the top. I love the idea of starting there. Cable cars, brilliant. I'll do a helicopter if you got. Give me a two-wheel motorbike. I'll take it. In the gospel, Paul saying, guys, he says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand. Number one, he says, church, for your identity to get in this, I've got to tell you, this is the truth. Forget the voices are shouting you. Number one, it is done. It's done. He says, you have been raised. So you don't have to believe me that's there in the Bible. You have been raised. Now I know maybe this morning you woke up and thought, I don't feel like I've been raised from anything. Actually, Mark, it was very hard to come to church this morning because I didn't feel raised. Now, welcome. That's called being human. So I pray to a father who art in heaven because I art on earth. He says, but actually, it's not about your feelings. It's about what God says about you. It's about what you believe and what the Bible calls you to believe is you have been raised. And he continues, he says, where he says, seated in Christ, seated. You've been raised and seated with Christ. You, you get a position of meaning. You, and not just that, he says, seated at the right hand of God, which is the implication of being seated with Jesus. He says, you are seated in a seat of authority. Didn't get that one out well, eh? Authority. <laughs> authority. You are seated with him in a seat of authority. You might not feel full of authority. And when the enemy's coming with his lies and his reminders of your past, your story, there's a time to believe what Christ has done. You have been raised. It's not the passion of a preacher to tell people they're good. It's the promise of Jesus. He says, not only do you get a new starting point in your journey, you get a new focus. He says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Everyone has a focus. Just because you don't know what it is doesn't mean you don't have one. You're going a direction. There's a focus in front of you. But I love the language he uses is he understands that he says, set your mind on things. Why? Because he knows that focus is important. I love watching. Have you ever watched reverse car racing? It's a thing. They race in reverse. It's awesome. Because even professional guys aren't good at it. You can't do it when you give your focus to reverse. But he says, set your mind. Now, I'm not much of a DIY guy, but every now and again, I give it a go. And when I was younger, I thought I wanted to try and make cement. So you learn a bit. You've got some powder, you chuck some water, you mix, and you mix, and then you keep adding water. And as long as you're adding water and you do that consistently, the builders are judging my technique here. But it keeps going. There comes a problem when you stop adding water. And you're standing in that cement. Hypothetical scenario. Never happened to an eight-year-old called Mark. And um, it sets. And you can throw as much hot water, cold water, ice, anything. It's not. The only way out of that is a brick and a hammer and a chisel and tears. Because it's set. And the apostle sitting in prison with stead smells all around him and a toilet over there and some yesterday's food over there is going, set your eyes. On things above. He says, allow that to set, that when the storms rage and the winds blow and all the challenges come, set your eyes. So that it will be hard for all those things to come. Why? Because Jesus is that perfect. Jesus is that supreme. 
above all things. He's writing it from prison. He's saying, you don't just get a new starting point. You get a new focus. He says, what do I mean? Well, it's above all things. Well, part of setting your mind is choosing what your mind says on things above, on heavenly things. I love the way the, the passion puts it. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with the heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. Maybe you hear that and you go, Mark, that sounds like your job description. Aren't you supposed to do that? Heavenly realms and spiritual realms and stuff. That's like a pastor's job. No, I would say to you, that's every person who's received the blood of Jesus because salvation is heavenly. And so not only is it heavenly, it brings us into a spacious place. When I fix my eyes on money, my job, anything of this earth, I'm telling your world gets smaller. Even beautiful things like your children. When your children become your every gaze, your world gets smaller. And the very essence of the gospel is yasa. It's a word, salvation comes from a word yasa, which means a spacious place. The essence of the gospel is we get brought into a spacious place. But how does that happen? When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we stumble into these other journeys. And we go, God, how does that work? I don't know. It's something from a heavenly realm because of a mighty king. He pulls us into. He says, set your mind on things above. Look at him. Look to him. So we get a new starting point. We get a new focus. We get a new story. He says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. I don't know when you read the Bible. I read it and I try to read it. Meaning, and you died. He's saying, Hey, church in class, he's just letting you know, you died. I mean, these are new believers. They didn't know of death and resurrection. They, they were, they, they'd heard about it, but they're being taught the details. We sit here, and yeah, we get it, we understand. He's saying, no, you died. You died. There was a guy, he died. A new creation. And part of it is, we are dead men walking. You need to understand that the right question to ask is, not are the things, what are the things that we are alive to that we should be dead to, but what are the dead things that we should be alive to? There's a whole bunch of things that God's saying, I want to bring my church alive to some things that too often are too dead in our story. Maybe some of the things that should die are people's opinions, your past, your pains. We need to let those things die our past realities, and, and, and stop resuscitating our old self. That's insecurity. Come back alive. I'm, I, I like some of you. And we tell story and glory days story. No, your glory days are ahead of you. Let that one die. Uh, yeah. He continues, says, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I'm literally just reading line for line and saying, Spirit of God, show me. I want to tell you that because it's not that hard. I want you to read the Word of God. He says, church, you are hidden with Christ in God. Now, there's few things people hide. Often what they'll hide are embarrassing things. You'll hide your embarrassing stories, your embarrassing past, the details of a retrenchment or a divorce or some failure in your story. Jesus said, that's not what I'm doing here. I'm hiding something that's precious to me. I hide precious things. You can replace watches and shoes, but you, there's some things you can't replace. I lost... My wedding ring once, when I was away with a group of men, I spent three hours pulling a bush apart till I found it. It was precious to me. It was hidden in a bush. I'm going to find it. And Jesus says, you're precious to him. And Paul's writing from a prison cell. He says, church, you're so precious to him. He's hidden you with Christ in him. You want to know how you can live this life? Well, hear the heartbeat of your father and imitate that. Just represent what you hear feel and see in him and you will stumble into a life that counts 
a life where there's future. I want to tell you, last, second last, we get a new future. It says this, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You get a new future. That's why when we sing the old hymns, we get excited, and, and we get excited as we navigate it. And when Christ shall come with shouts of, why do we get excited? Because that will be our day too. That's the hope of the believer. You know that? Yes, we have life now. We have joy now. We have freedom now. We have hope now. But we have hope in a day to come that will be glorious as our Christ ascends. And in Him, we get a new future. My future is not separate from my Father in heaven. My future is not determined by my, my situation on earth. My future is determined by the blood of Jesus alone and the supremacy of Jesus alone. And we navigate that story and it starts to pull us into the big story of the gospel. See, my glory days aren't behind me. So we keep trying to resist them. I leave my glory days and let them die. Because I have a story that's so much greater in Jesus. And I live for that day. Not useless on earth today, no. Full of purpose, full of delight, full of, of ambition for the kingdom of God. But with a hope that is not of this earth. So he lays this foundation. New future, new story, a, a, a new life in him. A, a new starting point. And then what does he say? And it's a bit of a radical turn of events as Paul is teaching us. So he goes from all these things and he says... Put to death. I don't know if I said that loud enough. Some of you got feared. It's good. That was the point. Well done, sound guy. Thank you, Don. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. See, too often we put that line at the front and expect people to walk in it, and they can't. And we wonder how for one week, two week, policies, principles, Christian principles work, and then they fall apart. Because he doesn't start there, guys. He starts with, who are you? Only can you represent him when you get who you are in him. It's the only way it works. It doesn't work any other way. And if there's anyone in between, get rid of it so that you can see Jesus. Because you don't represent with a brand called Life Changes. Forget that thing. You don't represent that. You don't represent me. You represent your Father in heaven on this earth. And when you walk out and you, when you pay your employees well, and when you honor people and when you choose not to respond in anger, you aren't representing a brand called Life Changes or me. You are representing your Father in heaven. He says the only way you can do that is by knowing who you are. Totally, totally different. But then he says, once you've got that, I want you to do something radical. Put to death. Now, I don't have many death stories. And the one I'm going to tell you now if you love animals, it's going to be hard for you. So just go like this. Seriously, one time in church, I was playing golf. Check, Devet, are you just scratching your ear? Are you? Okay, sorry, just checking. I didn't imagine you. <laughs> sorry. Um, I was playing golf one day. It's quite a dangerous sport. Had a big thing called a driver in my hand, and I hit it as hard as I could. And the ball flew. Obviously, it wasn't my shot. It was the wind that took it off course. And as it landed, obviously, son of God. And... Um, it landed in the rough, but unfortunately, it didn't hit the grass first. It hit the neck of a crane, like the neck, not the body, not the foot, the neck. Waka. Stay calm. There's a good part to the story. So I get there. This is not the good part. I get there, and it's moving around, but its neck is broken, so it's walking around like this. I am horrified. I am absolutely broken. I don't, I literally, I'm almost weeping. 
Sorry, I know you think fearless leader can handle it. No, this is not a good scenario. My friend is there. He says, no, we can't let this animal suffer like this. I'm like, what do you propose, bro? No, no, seven nine. I'm like, oh. See, the problem is I'm telling you a gruesome story because the Bible uses something tragic. He says, put to death. So he took that seven nine, and there was water to the left, and he drowned that animal because there was no coming back. I couldn't do it. I couldn't even watch it. I was horrified. Didn't play the 17th of 18. Just went home. Yes, I'm a ninny. But it's a story I've never forgotten because I haven't seen death much in my life. And I definitely haven't seen someone put something to death. And the apostle writes, and he changes tack and tone. He uses a radical statement. He says, put to death, church. He doesn't say play with it. He doesn't say put it in the back garden. Put it in a cupboard that you can manage. See, a lot of people take sin, and I've got so much Jesus, gospel, so good, I can, I can handle a level. He says, guys, that's not your story. You're not representing them. Put to death sexual immorality. Put to death anger. Put to death malice. Put to death rage. It's a radical statement. But if you just read it outside of the light of chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, I'm telling you, we miss the heart of the apostle writing from prison saying, guys, there's so much more in Jesus. Put to death. See, the problem is when we don't put to death, we end up walking around like a bird with a broken neck. You see people walking around, ah, I love Jesus, life's so good. But actually that, that thing that broke my, that failure in my life, actually I'm just broken from it. And, 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 and that cycle of sin, it's, it might, it's every seven years, but I'm in year six, I'm still good. No rubbish. Put to death. How? By knowing who you are in Jesus. And believing it, not just thinking it, and not just telling people that you are, but living it like it means something. And that my kids don't one day not get in their home and they're 27 years old and they marry their wife hopefully one day and they get on the cupboard and they jump off because they didn't know. They don't do that. Because over years and years of reinforcement of who they are, there's a resulting life. But the Apostle Paul uses something radical, put to death. I remember a funny story of this, and then I'm going to close. We went away as a family, and I had a granny who was very unwell, and she was sick, and she was sick from years and years and years of smoking. So she was banned from smoking. And I went outside, walked around the house, and I looked, and there's a box of cigarettes on a windowsill just outside her room. So I grabbed them, and I thought, well, someone left them there by mistake, took them aside. They were sitting around the lounge, and I just I walked in like this. And my grand immediately, all 84, 87 years old, however she was at the time. And she's very small. She was about four foot t- tall by the end. She says, I've been framed. <laughs> no one even said anything. I've been framed. But it was, it's an example for me because the radical thing, I would go with her to the hospital when she would get treated. I would sit with her in the middle of the night when she couldn't breathe, but she couldn't put that thing to death that was killing her. What's killing you? You can't kill it yourself. But in the seated position and authority that you have as a son and daughter of the living God, you can actually put it to death. Otherwise, it will put you to death. That's the reality. That's what the gospel does for us. It positions us for victory. Not just happy days. Victory. See, there's an order to the story and the gospel 
And the apostle writes from prison. He says, guys, it starts here. Know who you are in God. But you only know that by knowing who he is and then accepting him as supreme in all things. And then walk it out and represent him. Not as some kind of Christian foot soldier, but as a son or a daughter of the living God so that Father doesn't have to come downstairs and remind you you're not a rhinoceros. Because you're a son in a home loved by a king who's paid a price for you to be there. And because of that great story, and because my heart is convinced of that great love, I walk and I stumble forward as a son of the living God. I stumble into it. I wish I could tell you and say, guys, I've put to death everything. It's all dead, 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 dead. I wish I could say that, but it's not. It's an ongoing journey. What I do know is there was a sacrifice that was made that was perfect. What I do know is Hebrews 10 tells me in verse 14, I am perfect when the Father looks at me. I am perfect and being made holy. And I'm okay to accept that journey. Are you? That there is a God who loves you so much. But he gives you grace to put to death some big things. And so he gives us a new starting point. He gives us a new focus. He gives us a new story, a new future, and a new death. But we get to celebrate the victory in him. And the way we walk and stumble forward as a man sitting in prison writes a letter. The only way, says, the only way you do that, the only way you overcome the soul, three by three, the smell over there, the shouting, the abuse, is by fixing your eyes on Jesus. Fix him. Set them. Set them so that no wind or storm or influence of anything can come into your story. Set them, then you will have victory. You'll be able to put to death that which needs to be put to death so that you can live the life that he's got for you. Can you stand with me, please? Maybe if Mpele could jump. We preach this gospel. And I want to almost demystify preaching for you. I trust you can see I'm literally just reading line for line, allowing God to speak, thinking of an apostle writing a letter from a prison cell to a people he loves. God wants to show you his word. But there's a prayer we've prayed almost every week as we've done the series, and we've got one more week left. It's this prayer. Jesus, be my king. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my everything. It's a prayer I have to pray every day. It's a prayer that puts to death the rising kings in my life. It's a prayer that every time I pray it, it puts to death the rising lords that want to be Lord and ruler of my life. It's a prayer that every time something else comes in and says, Jesus is not enough, it puts it to death. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the love of the King. It's the power of His Spirit in our lives. And He wants to allow us to walk forward. But it's a declaration of my heart. And I trust at this time in reverence to His Word and submission to His Word, it would be that for you too. We can play games. I've done it. I did it for years. We can play games with the call of God. We can play games with His grace in our life. We can play games. The apostle knew something we didn't know, and he writes, put to death. It's time to live and truly live. Can we close our eyes and raise our hands, just a posture of worship to him, if that's okay?
Can we say that prayer together? Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my King. Jesus, be my everything. Can we say it a little louder so our neighbor can hear us? Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my King. Jesus, be my everything. And we're going to say it one more time so the enemy hears it loud and clear. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my King. Jesus, be my everything. We worship you, King. You are our everything, God. Pray chains would come tumbling off this morning, off people, illegitimate lies, the past. Stop trying to resuscitate what God calls dead. And live the life that he breathes. He is faithful. And he is kind. And he is true. And he has a great story for your life. It's a story covered by his grace. Clothed by his righteousness. Nothing I deserve, but everything I get because of Jesus. We worship you, King. Give you praise, glory, and honor.